0: You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Ephesians. Here's Nate. Well, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is, of course, highlighting and re-highlighting the glorious message of the gospel that we have as we've been placed into Christ Jesus been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and his prayer for the Ephesian church is that their eyes would be opened, that they would receive enlightenment spiritually, that they would understand the great riches that are in Christ and the power of the Father towards them because of their abundant position in Christ Jesus. But in highlighting that message of the gospel, it's of course important For the good news to be contrasted with the bad news. In fact, in one sense, you could say that the good news is always made brighter when contrasted with the bad news. You know, to, uh, I remember when I bought an engagement ring for Christina and took the, went into a jeweler and I was looking at this little teeny diamond and they took it out and it didn't seem very impressive, but then they took a black velvet cloth, laid it down, put the diamond on top of it, shone the light upon it, and the contrast caused the diamond to stand out so brilliantly. And the message of the gospel stands out most brilliantly when there is the dark contrast of the brutal reality of, of who and what we used to be. And that's what Paul is going to do for us here in Ephesians chapter 2. He's going to show us the great deadness that we had experienced before we came to Christ. He tells us in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. First thing that you need to see here is that Paul points out our old position. This is who we were before we came to Christ. And it's important to note that Paul isn't saying, you know, some people were like this and some of us were this bad. There were others who were, of course, in a far greater situation. No, he tells us that everyone who... Uh, was outside of Christ, all of humanity under that blanket of being in Adam rather than in Christ. When we were in Adam and not in Christ, we were, he tells us in verse 1, dead in trespasses and sins. Our old and previous position was one of death. We weren't just, you know, decent people who needed a Savior. We weren't just... uh, semi-spiritually alive there was an absolute deadness with us and of course he's not referring to physical death but a spiritual death Uh, in the bible there's spiritual death as paul is describing here physical death and eternal death this is death physically and spiritually which never ends for all of eternity And so Paul here is speaking of spiritual death. And he says, listen, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, in one sense, this shows us the great grace of Jesus Christ. Because someone who is spiritually dead is absolutely impossible to reach. You you would never go up to a corpse and say, hey, taste this or touch this or try this. You would never rebuke a corpse or try to get them to do this or that, you understand that their deadness prohibits them from being able to act in whatever way you would like them to act. And oftentimes we believe that if we could just convince someone, or if we could just exhort them enough, then we could get them to uh, move from deadness to a place of life. But the reality is they're dead. It's the grace of God that a person is awakened, the grace of God that a person comes into life. God is obviously involved in this process of bringing life into a person, causing them to be born again. And so for me, as I proclaim to the the world, as I speak to people of Christ, I pray for them that their eyes would be opened, that the dead would come to life through a miracle of God's Spirit. Now notice his description of that death he says they were that you were dead in trespasses and sins and verse 2 in which you once walked so here we have Paul describing the reason that we were dead the reason we were spiritually dead is because of trespasses and sins in which we once walked so in other words sin is the thing that has gotten mankind into this position of deadness paul said in romans chapter 5 verse 12 therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin so death spread to all men because all sinned when you have there's a couple of different things first of all we have acts of individual sin every human on the face of the earth has committed sin is guilty of sin of living a flawed life. Uh, some of it's very grave. Some of it seems less grave to us, but it is, it is all grave in the sight of God. And so acts of sin. But Romans 5.12 teaches us that it's not just acts of sin. You know, I committed a trespass or I committed a sin, therefore I became dead in my trespasses and sins. Well, in one sense, the acts of sin were simply an evidence of, Of the position of sin that every human being was born into as a result of the fall of man through the failure in the Garden of Eden of Eve, but more importantly, of Adam. And so what we're seeing now is that decay has set in. Our position is one of death because of sin. And the decay has now set in. We see a world that is broken and fallen dead in trespasses and sin. And there are, of course, going to be wonderful glimpses of good. God created us in his image. I think of Paul the Apostle when he went to the island of Malta in Acts chapter 28. He said, Luke recorded, the native people showed us unusual kindness. These people did not know the Lord, but created in his image, there is the capability of good uh, in from people's lives, but there is a general position of brokenness and fallenness that has been caused by sin. Paul bluntly describes it here in verse one and two as being dead in trespasses and sins. Now in verse two, he goes on to say that in that state, there were three things that we followed in that old life. In our old life, our position was simple, dead, dead. But there were three things in that old life that we perpetually followed. And here's what they are. First of all, notice that he mentions there in verse 2, following the course of this world. Following the course of this world. Now this of course means more than just the people of the world, but a system that seems to hate and oppose all that is godly. When you get to the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 17 and 18, it does seem as if there is this world system uh, that is behind the scenes working to persuade humanity uh, to fall deeper and deeper into their bondage uh, into sin. Paul said in Galatians 1 verse 4 that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. John said in 1 John 2 verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so there's this thing called the world, not just the people who inhabit the earth or the earth itself, but this system, this invisible thing referred to as the world. It has a strong pull upon us as believers because we are alive in Christ. It has a pull against us, uh, but when you're dead, you just live there, is what Paul is saying. We followed the course of this world. You know, for a Christian, we might struggle with worldliness. We might struggle with, you know, temptation. But as a, but a non-believer, what Paul is announcing is that we were dead. Non believers are absolutely spiritually dead, and there is no struggle between following the world or following God. They are completely entrenched firmly inside of that world system. Which is funny because so many people speak of their lifestyle as a life of freedom. I can do what I want to do, not really realizing all the while that they're really not in charge. They're following after a system behind the scenes, telling them how to behave and how to live. But Paul said there were three things that we used to follow in that old life. The first is the world. The second, he says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now this sounds rather ominous and for good reason referring to the devil, the prince of the power of the air, who, of course, was the anointed cherub or angel who covered there in heaven. He fell from God's grace through his pride and rebellion. And John tells us in 1 John 5, verse 19, we know that we're from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So the great power of the devil, he is very influential in this world so much so that paul referred to him in second corinthians 4 verse 4 as the god of this world of course a false god but he's the prince of the power of the air he, he creates this atmosphere and uh, he loves to destroy lives through sin and loves to destroy lives through self-righteousness but he creates this atmosphere that so pervades And when you're alive in Christ, you perhaps notice it. Perhaps it bums you out and brings you down. But when you're dead spiritually, you're just under his sway, under his direction, under his leadership. So the world and the devil. But notice also in verse 3, here in Ephesians 2, Paul said, "...among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh." carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We followed, when we were dead, in our trespasses and sins, the world, the prince of the power of the air, but also, as Paul says, the flesh and our own desires. In other words, in that unregenerate nature, uh, we gave ourselves completely to our fallenness. They'll even take good passions like eating or sleeping or sex or reading or talking things that are good in and of themselves and twist them and pervert them uh, to their uh, debased desires. And Paul announces that, yes, we were dead and we were following all of these things. And this is what we were children of wrath. Verse three. There is this wrath of God uh, that exists. Jesus said in John three verse thirty six that he who believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. And so the the wrath of God. This isn't just some uh, you know backwoods preacher kind of message. Paul the apostle here says it clearly, we were children of wrath before we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. We were absolutely dead uh, before we came alive. This is a horrible position and a horrible backdrop that Paul is painting. It should give us great compassion for the world in which we live, for one. And so Paul points it out to us. Now in verse 4, some of the most beautiful words in all of God's Word. He says in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in christ jesus two words there that are so wonderful and beautiful the words, but God in the backdrop of such darkness, such deadness, such wrath, you have the words in verse four, but God, (laughs) you know, really Ephesians two, verse one through three could be the totality of scripture. You're dead. You follow the course of this world. You follow the plans of the enemy. You follow your own debased nature. You are children of wrath. And that could be it. But fortunately, the God in heaven is a God who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And here we learn that but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he did something about it. We could not make ourselves alive, but it says in verse five that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. So God took people who were previously dead and he did a few things to them. We've seen the description from Paul of our old life. Here's the description of our new life. First of all, A new position, verse 5. He made us alive together with Christ. We've been raised and, you know, given new garments from the Lord. Made alive together with Christ. No longer dead and free from death. Uh, as As Jesus said there in John chapter 12 regarding Lazarus. He told them when he came out of the tomb to remove his grave clothes. The grave clothes of death have been removed from the Christian. We have newness of life. We've been made alive together with Christ, Paul announces. He tells us in verse 6 that he has raised us up with him. And so we not only have a new position, but we have a new life in the Lord. We have been raised up. And then in verse 6 as well, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've been connected to Jesus in his ascension. We have a new position in him. We have newness of life in him. But we have this new citizenship with the Lord himself. Paul said in Romans 6 verse 5 that we've been united with him in a death like his, and we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The one who has has died to sin has been set free from sin. And so we are currently, notice how Paul describes it in verse 6, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's how complete this bringing alive from God is in a believer's life it is full it is complete all the way to the point that in the sight and the vision of God we are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places now you might remember what we were previously Paul had said in verse 3 that we were previously children of wrath tell me if this sounds like the exact opposite of that position In verse 7, Paul said, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The new sentence that is ours in Christ is quite the opposite of wrath. It's God's wealth of kindness. And so just the great joy and gladness that should be in a believer's heart for the position that is theirs in Christ, removed from wrath and given not just life, but given immeasurable riches of grace and kindness from God, not just now, but forever and ever and ever. Even if a multi-billionaire gave you their estate, the, there's a there's a limit to those resources. But the estate of God's grace and his kindness will never run Dry. We are free from wrath, but more than just free from wrath, placed under the immeasurable grace and kindness of God. Now, in all of this, Paul had mentioned parenthetically in verse 5. He said, you know, the Lord made you alive together with Christ. Parenthetically, by grace, you have been saved and got back to his thought about our present condition. Now, in verse 8, Paul is going to expound upon that little parenthesis. for by grace you have been saved. Notice in verse 8 he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the question, of course, is, How did this life enter in? How was I transferred from being a child of wrath to a child under uh, the immeasurable riches of God's kindness and grace? And the answer is found here. We've been saved through faith. But before we rejoice that in the how it comes, I think it's good for us to rejoice that it comes. The word saved He says here, you've been saved. This is past tense. The word saved means to protect or keep alive, to preserve life, to deliver, to be made whole. This is the basic idea of rescuing someone who is in peril or danger. That's exactly what we were. We were under wrath. We've been saved from Jesus, from the wrath of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. We've been saved from sin that's what jesus came to do matthew 1 verse 21 we've been saved from uncleanness we've been saved from the devil we've been saved from the world and in many ways most importantly we've been saved from eternal death that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life we weren't just saved from something however we were saved to something so it's True that we've been saved. Now the question is, how have we been saved? And the answer is so simple here in verse 8. By grace you've been saved through faith. Faith is the way that salvation has come to us. But grace is the thing that even made it a possibility to us in the first place. This word grace is the word charis, which means God's unmerited favor it's something that's free to us but very costly to god it cost him much to give us grace his general disposition was that of favor towards us but blood had to be shed namely the blood of the son of god in order for an avenue for the for the grace and favor of god to be able to travel in our direction and so we have been saved by grace this unmerited favor from god now so many people are frightened by the grace of god they consider it a dangerous thing to preach a dangerous thing to share i was just actually this last week interacting with and reading some pastors online who were trying to figure out the problem of decreased church attendance from those who consider themselves a part of the church in other words 52 sundays in a year. Maybe it used to be that you'd attend 48 Sundays throughout the year, and uh, that number has just seemed to decrease over time. Uh, Believers have less and less considered it something that they can't miss, and now it's not uncommon for maybe the same kind of person who would have been there for 48 to be there for 24 or 26 Sundays throughout the year. And so many of the solutions that were being Uh, bantered about were, you know, probably some great wisdom that was there, but none of them really had to do with grace. And for me, I just sense and believe that as we continue to minister what God has ministered to us, his great grace, a river and flow of grace coming from our lives, people are attracted to such a thing. Paul said in Titus chapter 2 verse 11, that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And he spoke a little bit about that grace and said at the end of that statement in verse 14, that he came to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. It's the grace of God that trains us. He said in verse 12 to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. In other words, it's not the law, it's not berating people, it's the continued message of grace. And certainly there have been those over the years who have used grace as license rather than a means of liberation from sin. And that's unfortunate, they're just not seeing it correctly, they're not seeing it well. But those who understand God's grace rejoice that they've been liberated and set free, and so they long to live a life that honors their God in heaven because of his great grace towards them. But he says, by grace, you have been saved through faith, through faith. Now this faith is not a subjective feeling. It's not a positive mental attitude. It's not just a mere belief system as in, well, in my faith, I believe it's not a mere intellectual belief of a few facts. Faith involves trust and Surrender. One man said it this way, Saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ as a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. It involves trust. It involves leaning upon the Lord, uh, putting your full weight upon him for your salvation, believing fully and completely in the atoning work of Jesus Christ and resting in it and it alone. For your salvation. And uh, so by grace you have been saved through faith. I heard of one missionary who was trying to translate the word faith into the native tongue of some South Sea Islanders. And he put a chair down and said, it is good to rest my whole weight in this chair. And that's what faith is. Putting all of your weight upon Christ Christ. He says in verse 9, listen, this has not come as a result of works so that no one may boast. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So salvation, we know, is entirely a work of God. Unfortunately, so many people believe that they can earn God's salvation and often will even reintroduce works after they begin in grace. And so uh, it's important to, of course, seek the Lord and to worship, to give, to be a part of a local church, to serve. But they are not means of salvation. They are not even means of grace, necessarily. Uh, They are just things that we do in response to the great grace that God has given to us and whereby we enjoy God more and more practically in this life. He says in verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we are the work of God. We're his workmanship. His, the Greek word is poema, uh, a something that God has made. He's made us into a new creation, uh, but he also has a work that he wants to do inside of your life. He's created you for good works, which God prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. God works for us. He works in us. And God also desires to work through us. I hope you've discovered the power of the Holy Spirit in working through your life. Ask Him for spiritual gifts. Ask Him to use your life. Step out in obedience to Him and begin to discover His deep and wonderful plan for using your life here on this earth. It's a response to the grace that you have received from him through faith. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.